This is Anchored in Christ, the sermon podcast that gives you hope in the gospel as an anchor for your soul. Brought to you from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. In the weekster, we call them Easter Tide. And Easter Tide is the season in between Easter and Pentecost. And it's when we just continue to remember aspects and implications of the resurrection. That's what this Lazarus Life series is all about. And so today I want to take you to two places in John's Gospel. I want you to take you to the 20th chapter of John's Gospel. I'll be reading the first 18 verses, and then I'll go back for one verse from John 11. Listen to God's word to us. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they've laid him. Then Peter and the other disciples set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrapping lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came and following him went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and he believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside. The disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, well, they've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't know it was Jesus standing there. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabuni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, don't hold on to me because I've not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples I have seen the Lord. And she told them what he had, that he had said these things to her. 
And then in John 11, the word that simply is spoken by Jesus to Lazarus in the tomb. When he said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Let us pray. Lord, allow your word to speak to us personally today. That we might be able to hear what you are speaking to us. And that we might know when to hear your voice and how to hear it. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Speedy Morris was a longtime basketball coach in the city of Philadelphia. In fact, in March of this year, just before we all went into quarantine and lockdown, Speedy coached his last game and retired after 52 years as a coach in both high school and college. He was a longtime basketball coach at LaSalle University in Philadelphia and very famous in leading that team for years. Well, one morning in his tenure at LaSalle, as he was shaving in the bathroom, the phone rang. His wife answered the phone, and the voice said, this is Sports Illustrated calling. We would like to speak to Speedy Morris. His wife hurried up to the bathroom, told her husband that Sports Illustrated was on the line and wanted to talk to him, and he was so excited when he heard it that he actually cut himself shaving as he picked up the phone. He was so excited because <clears throat> finally he was going to get an interview with Sports Illustrated. The voice on the other end said, hello, is this Speedy Morris? And he says, it sure is. His heart was in his throat. He was so excited they were going to do a story on him. And the voice on the other end of the line said, we just wanted to let you know that your subscription is expiring and we wondered if you wanted to renew your subscription. He heard his name, but it was really not as he had expected it to be. In contrast, when you hear your name called by somebody you really treasure, there can be an explosion of joy. Sarah, will you marry me? Now, see, that's a very different use of the name than Speedy Morris got. Or John, we want to offer you the job. Or Philip, you have been chosen for a prestigious award. Anytime you hear your name that way, it suddenly catapults you into a very different experience. Today, we've got Mary and we've got Lazarus and they both hear their name called by Jesus. Neither of them was, hey, you. Neither of them was, come over here. Each of them actually heard their name. Have you? Have you heard Jesus call you by name? Let's set the scene. This text I read from John 20 happens on Easter morning. As the morning began, remember, there were no hallelujahs, there was no sunrise service, there was no celebration. Easter morning began in gnawing sadness. Jesus had died around 3 p.m. on a Friday. By the time they got him to the borrowed tomb, it was late and too close to the beginning of the Sabbath, 
which would begin around 6 p.m. and lead into Saturday, so they couldn't finish the proper burial. On Saturday, the Sabbath, <clears throat> all was undoubtedly quiet, and Jesus' friends were probably just in shock. Sunday morning <clears throat> was the Jewish equivalent of our Monday morning back to work, and so Mary Magdalene got up to do the ordinary work of finishing the proper preparation of a body, the proper preparation of a body for burial. Mary Magdalene was one of the female followers of Jesus. Now, it's easy to get a little Mary confusion in the New Testament because there are a lot of Marys. Mary was a very popular name then, and so you find a lot of them. The mother of Jesus was named Mary. Uh, the sister of Lazarus was named Martha and Mary. There are a lot of Marys. But the most significant thing about Mary Magdalene is that before she met Christ, she was what was referred to as demon-possessed. Now, we don't know everything that meant in the first century, but we do understand that it meant something about evil forces that had taken over her life and inflicted all kinds of spiritual and psychological harm. Jesus didn't forgive demon-possessed people. Instead, he delivered them. And Mary Magdalene had been occupied by what was referred to as seven demons, which is a number of completeness in Hebrew, as if she had been totally taken over. But Jesus had delivered her and had restored her. And when the demons left her, it was like being free from a prison cell. It was like, as Sarah said last week, walking out of a tomb in which she had lived in total darkness. Jesus had called her, led her into new light of a holy unexpected dawn in which all was good and filled with grace. And everywhere Jesus went, he was making the darkness retreat and the light dawn. But on this Friday of Holy Week, it all seemed to change for her. She had been one of the women standing at the foot of the cross in John 19. And watching him die, seeing the power of the Romans carrying out the malicious establishment, it likely reminded Mary of the power of the evil one all over again. For many, the cross was the death of a dream. For Mary, it was more. It meant recess was over. It meant the vacation from evil had come to an end. It meant the clock was turning midnight on her joyous dance. Prince Charming was dying, and now the ugly stepsisters of evil were about to claim her again. The freedom she had known was just a tease because darkness was now winning. Perhaps there was no one more miserable on Easter morning than Mary Magdalene. But in that grief, she got up and got out of bed to do something that morning. And as she goes to the tomb, we're told in other gospels, she's wondering, how are we gonna move this stone away? The first thing she noticed when she got there is that the stone had been, had been rolled away. And it startles her. And she doesn't even look inside the tomb. She runs back to get Peter and John. She reports that the body is missing and they don't know where the body would be. Peter and John run in, look, discover the empty tomb. They didn't stay in the tomb. They left and went back to their homes. But Mary stayed there tenaciously with a kind of Magdalenic faith. She stays there and she looks inside and she sees 
what they did not see. She sees two angels standing there. And, and they were speaking for some reason to her, and they ask her, why are you crying? She mentions not knowing where the body was. And then she turned and she saw another figure in the door of the tomb with a light behind him shadowing his face. And he also said, woman, why are you crying? What do you, text tells us she assumed it was the gardener who perhaps had moved the body. And so she says, tell me where you've put him and I'll go get him. Seeing angels and another figure had not yet registered to her. And then this person in the doorway speaks her name, Mary. And suddenly she knows. Suddenly she gets it. She's heard her name. Names are big in Scripture. Isaiah 43 that we heard Sarah read, I have called you by name, you're mine. At the top of the bulletin, Isaiah writes that God has engraved our name on the palm of his great big hand. When Jesus calls Lazarus from the tomb, it was not, hey, you, it was Lazarus. Come out. And he heard Jesus call his name. Hearing Mary did something to Mary. And she turns back and says, your teacher, Rabuni, Jesus is no longer dead. The tomb couldn't hold him. Darkness didn't win after all. Jesus came back from the dead. He did rise. And from this point on, Mary's a different person. She's experienced a lot already, but she is actually the first one of the disciples to meet the resurrected Lord, and she is the first one to declare to others that the Lord is risen. She preaches the very first Easter sermon. Now let me highlight three things for you from these texts about the Christian life. One, sermon. Now let me highlight three things for you from these texts about the Christian life. One, the readiness for the Christian life often begins for people with disillusionment or discouragement or when life did not turn out the way they expected. I was describing this two weeks ago. When we try to live life on our own, as long as we can do it, we're going to keep doing it until we discover that we're not quite big enough to live our life on our own. But, oh, we will try. But when there comes disappointment with marriage or our vocation or a political process or when we retire and discover it's not what we thought it would be or when our health is not there to sustain us or our dreams dies or someone we love dies, then suddenly we are in that state of being as if we were out of breath and we're ready for the kingdom of God not add up to us the way we thought. The journalist Malcolm Muggeridge first despaired of the direction of the world before he met Jesus personally. St. Augustine first felt his own frustrations with his life, specifically his lack of self-control, before he met Jesus. Janet, a friend of mine, had to face devastating hurt in relationships before she realized there was more. Mary stood outside a tomb crying, fearing 
that darkness had won. Sometimes it takes a broken heart before you hear Jesus speak your name. But of course, just having a disappointment does not necessarily bring us to our senses. Many remain in their disappointment and continue staring into a tomb. I'm haunted by an old 19th century tombstone that was in San Antonio on the headstone of San Antonio, on the headstone of Grace Llewellyn Smith are these words, sleeps but rests not, loved but was loved not, tried to please but pleased not, died as she lived alone. What a haunting tombstone. It seems like Grace Llewellyn Smith never found anything but her despair. She never heard someone call her name. Or if she did, she never turned around. Second thing about the Christian faith. Christian faith emerges as we turn from the emptiness of the tomb to the presence of the one coming up behind us, who is Jesus. Mary could have focused on what did not happen, but instead she turned around at the nudging behind her. Doug grew up in the church. He heard all about the truths of the Christian faith, but like many, he left the church when he went off to college. His life has been full of disappointments. He's just been sad for years. I remember sharing the gospel with him about 25 years ago, and he says, well, I want what you have, but I just couldn't be so religious. The presence of the Holy Spirit was thick that night. I could just tell the Spirit was working on him. And I said, Doug, I'm not religious. I just have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I continued, just get to know Christ. And he said, maybe I will. But I saw him again eight years ago. And as I listened to the continuing misery of his life, I marveled he has not yet made that turn to the voice. William James once wrote, when you make a choice and you don't make it, that in itself is a choice. And so many just never turn and hear the voice. Before Malcolm Muggeridge was a Christian, he was in an Easter service in Kiev at the height of communism and of the atheism of the USSR. He was a journalist. He was describing what he saw. He, he described a packed congregation in Russia, how they sang, and about how there was no help except in you, nowhere to turn except in you, nothing, nothing, nothing could bring any comfort but you, he wrote, I could have touched you then, you were so near, but Muggridge did not turn Pascal says, evidence for believing is as good as evidence for people who don't believe usually have a desire for some reason not to believe. The heart has its reasons that reason knows not of. You see, as long as Mary was looking into the tomb, she couldn't see Christ. Faith is born when the heart is broken enough to open us to receive, but the second step of faith requires turning in a different direction. And she turned, and there was Jesus. 
But when she turned, she heard her name, Mary. And that's the third part, that personal encounter with Jesus. Personal encounter. Jesus, Lazarus. A lot about the relationship had been making sense to Mary. She'd heard about forgiveness. She saw miracles. She heard the love of God. She experienced community. But until this morning, she didn't quite, quite get the whole picture. The risen Christ spoke her name wanted a relationship with her, not just with the crowd. That was her conversion. I remember still the canyon I sat in outside of Colorado Springs when I was 18 years old. I had known Christ for years. I had been consistently trying to be a Christian for two years. But that day, for the first time in my life, I heard Jesus speak to me personally. And I was so overwhelmed that summer that Jesus actually knew me by name. Malcolm Muggridge finally heard it. Augustine finally heard it. What I'm talking about is not being a church member, not being religious, not being moral, religious, not being moral. The Christian life comes in knowing Jesus and knowing that he knows you. It's about knowing the Presbyterian pastor Graham Standish once wrote, the modern church has succumbed to treating God as a theological ideal, an abstract concept, rather than an experience, an encounter, an embrace of one with whom we can have deep and transformative relationships. Have you met Jesus? Have you heard him call you by name? I close with a story that Fred Craddock, the professor of preaching, tells. He and his wife were up in the mountains of Tennessee having lunch in a little restaurant. A man came in, and it seemed that he went around to every table in the restaurant, visiting with everybody. Finally got to the table where the Craddocks were seated. Finally got to the table where the Craddocks were seated. When he learned that Fred was a preacher, he told them this story. Oh, I was born just a few miles away. <clears throat> he was the son of an unwed mother. And the teasing about that hurt him regularly because he was the only kid in his school that was born from an unwed mother. And so because of that, he tried to stay by himself as much as he could in school. <clears throat> he would eat lunch alone, play alone at recess. The village was small where he lived, and everyone seemed to wag their head when he went by. Unspoken questions were in their eyes, wonder who his daddy is. When he was 12, something drew him to start going to a church. He hungered for Jesus, but he feared the people, and always came in late, sat on the back row, and he always left before the last hymn. But one Sunday, he was so involved in the message he heard that he forgot to slip out. And he was caught in the crowd and couldn't get out. And then he felt a big hand on his shoulder. He turned around and it was the preacher whom he had never met. And the preacher said, whose boy are you? Whose son are you? 
But he didn't wait for an answer. The preacher said, oh, wait a minute. I know you. You have a strong family resemblance. I know who your father is. You are a child of God. Go forth and claim the promise of your inheritance. And sitting at that table now years later, and looked into the face of Fred Craddock and said, that one statement, that I was a child of God, has changed my whole life. And then he got up to leave, and the waitress came by and later asked if they knew who that man was, and the Craddocks didn't know. And he said, well, that was Ben Hooper. He's been a two-term governor of Tennessee. I know who you are. You're a child of God. But have you heard Jesus tell you that? Have you entered into that relationship? They just sang to you, he knows my name. Have you entered that relationship with the resurrected Christ? Listen carefully in the rest of this service. And listen beyond what's spoken. And see if you can turn around and hear Jesus call you by name for the first time or even again. Let's pray. Lord, we need you. We need to be yours. We need to hear how much you love us and that you have called us out of any tomb that we've gotten ourselves into. And so would you let the Lazarus life and the Mary life be born in us as we too join them in hearing our name. It's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. If you'd like more information about our historic church or you'd like to find out more about the gospel of Jesus, please visit our website at oldsouthnbpt.org. The peace of Christ be with you.